We're talking about the attributes of those that uh, walk with God, and we know that there are a lot of people in the Bible and a lot of people in this room that are walking with God. But in the scriptures, uh, the, the Bible points out specifically that there are three people that walked with God. And uh, say this with me, Enoch, Enoch. Noah, Noah, and Levi. Levi. Um, I want to finish talking to you tonight about those attributes, but remember in Genesis chapter 3, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They hid. It was God's expectation and practice is that he walked with them daily. They had a wonderful relationship. And notice the first thing that was compromised because of sin, they were not there to walk with him. That's a shame for people today to be born again yet not walk with him. It is possible for people to be technically saved and not really walking with him the way he would have them do it. And oftentimes the reason for that is sin. Write this down if you don't have it in your spirit. Sin still separates. It's not that we can't be forgiven. It's not that we can't get right with God. It's not that we can't confess. We can. But understand this, that sin does something to us on every level, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, and it, it produces a separation from that walk. In fact, when you feel far away from God, how many know He didn't move? In fact, His Word says, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. But keep this in mind that the worst part, the result of the fall, is that they stopped walking with God. And once you stop walking with God, everything falls apart in your life. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they what? Unless they agree. So we don't uh, talk God into our position, do we? We bow and bend to his position, to what he actually says. And so the adjustment's not made on God's part, it's made on our part. In fact, the scripture talks about that, that we are converted or translated in our minds. That's a, an incredibly important concept because until we can transfer to his side and his way of thinking, not much is going to be done in our lives. That's the devil's work. He's a thief. He is a liar. And he wants you to be at odds with the way that God thinks. God is not going to change his mind. Say that with me. God is not going to change his mind about his word. So that just leaves one possibility, that people that want to walk with God, they make the adjustment. Why walk with God? You can write these down if you didn't the last time you met, but if you'll walk with God, you'll have his presence. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, think about the reward of that. God is your portion. That's the greatest thing of all is being able to walk with God. God's impartation in your life. Promotion is part of that. Deliverance is part of that. Success is part of that. Renewal is part of that. Understanding comes to those that walk with God. When people walk with God, they have a supernatural provision in their life. And we're kind of talking about that in the next, uh, you know, in the past several weeks and going forward. And then direction is a part of that as well. People that walk with God have a greater measure of all of these benefits in their lives. Now, again, you don't live in a vacuum. You don't live in a bubble. Look at somebody and tell them you're not the boy in the bubble. At the same time, these promises are yes and they're what? Amen. So it really does pay to walk with God. Amen. Walking with God is not just for holding your special people. We're not going to celebrate, you know, Noah and Enoch and Levi and say, well, they're untouchable. No, they're people given to like passions just like us. The ability to do this is based in a decision on your part, a quality decision to walk with God. Say that with me. I decide to walk with God. The danger is just because you go to church doesn't mean you walk with God. Just because you have a membership card doesn't mean you walk with God. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you walk with God. You can have all those things, check off all those boxes, and yet not really walk with God. And tonight, you're the only one that really knows if you're walking with God. We can con each other. We can put on airs. We can pretend. We can sell the right things, dress a certain way. But if we are not really in our hearts, lining up with the principles that we lay out tonight, then you're not really walking with God. So what I want to do is end up tonight with this. Take these three gentlemen, who all are great examples to us, and look at what the Bible says about them and give you a list of seven things that can kind of be a checklist in your own life to find out if you're really walking with God. Now, if it's in here and the challenge is there, then it's possible to walk with God, isn't it, church? 
We're not talking about something that is out here that we can't possibly attain to. No, we can walk with God. Turn to somebody and say, if Noah can do it, you can do it. Now keep in mind the one thing that Enoch and Noah and Levi all have in common, none of them have the new birth. None of them are spirit-filled. None of them have the revelation that you have. So it would seem there should be more people walking with God now than ever before. But that's not necessarily the case either. So go to Micah chapter 6, and this is the, the source of the three attributes of those that would walk with God. We're going to explore this a little bit more tonight. It's interesting because it's a rhetorical question that's uh, given to us really in, in verse 6 or so. What shall I come before the Lord? But what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? In other words, what does he want? What does he expect? What is he looking for in my life? And so the prophet says, shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Incidentally, even if you did, it wouldn't pay the price. So what's he looking for? Here's the answer in verse 8. This is one of those scriptures you should star, highlight, underline, everything you can possibly do to get this. Because I believe in the coming year, this is going to be critical for those that really want to have that spectacular season in God. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. Everybody say good. And what does the Lord require of you? Now, this isn't a great suggestion. I hope my people will do this. I'll just throw that out there and maybe it will stick to if you know. He what? He requires for you having God, for you being forgiven, for you having his grace, for you having his mercy, he has requirements of his people. You're going to walk with God. You're going to have these manifest in your life. And he says to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Say that with me. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. By way of review, first of all, do justly. What does that mean? It means to do the right thing, to do what is just. The just shall what? Live by faith. But then because of that faith, we do what is right. In Judges 21, 25, they were in a time and a season where everybody did what was right in what? Their own eyes. Today's manifestation of that error, of that, her of that heresy, is live your truth. Just live your truth. No, we don't live our truth. There's only one truth. And so that same spirit is alive and well. Everybody did what was right in their eyes. The problem with the scripture in Judges, that's not referring to the world. That's referring more than just to the people who would reject God. Even God's people from time to time will slip into this mindset of doing what's right in what? in their eyes. And you say, well, Pastor, how does that happen? All we have to do is shut this book on our eyes and our ears and our hearts. And eventually what's going to happen? We're going to stop doing what the Word says. We're going to forget what God has commanded. That's why, you know, when Josiah, you know, discovered the book and they read the book and why there was such a response of repentance there, because they realized it had not been adhered to because it had not been read and studied and meditated upon. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved. You close that book, you're not going to be able to develop the attributes of those that will walk with God. It says to do justly. In Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6, this is from the NCV, it was by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven, that he would not die, he could not be found, because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, the scripture says that he was a man who truly pleased God. Isn't that your heart's cry tonight? To truly please God. Scripture doesn't leave us hanging in Hebrews. It goes on to say this, without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that truly want to find him, or those that diligently seek him. Now, I explain this often. I want to do this again tonight. Uh, we're faith people. Say it. We're not unbelief people. Come on, say it. We're not doubters. Amen. And we're doers, aren't we, church? So, we're faith people. But oftentimes, I'll 
I'll notice that people get a little bit of teaching on the revelation of the word of faith and they'll run with it and they'll think that they're hearing something but they're not really hearing it accurately. How many understand hearing is important? It can run you into a ditch if you don't have right hearing, right understanding. It is not you getting your manifestation that, that pleases God. You're believing God for a breakthrough, leaving, believing God maybe for a home, maybe believing God for someone to get saved, believing God for a healing, and then it manifests. We have trained ourselves by leaping to spiritual conclusions that that is what pleases God. That's not what pleases God. That's what pleases us. We're pleased when the bill's paid. We're pleased when the breakthrough happens. God is pleased when somebody believed him long before it ever manifested. Amen. That touches and pleases the heart of God. So if you're measuring your faith right now, and I see a lot of faith people do it, and it's the job of the pastor teacher to correct things when they're out of order. Can I have an amen? amen. And I'm not saying this in a, in a negative light. I'm just simply saying to make sure that you're healthy in your faith. I said you need to be healthy in your faith and in your understanding. This means if you're judging yourself or even others by their level of manifestation and that is your marker of whether they have faith or not, you're making a mistake. It is the faith itself. When Jesus said, according to your faith be unto you, we have to understand what he's looking for is belief, un, you know, swerving belief and confidence in God and his word. If you have that kind of faith, are you going to have manifestation? Yes. But what pleases God is that you believe long before it manifests. Some people in this room have been saved five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Jim, Jack, you've been saved since Methuselah, right? You've been, <laughs> been saved a long time. Joy, you've been saved a long time. Since you got delivered from that church that's famous for believing absolutely nothing, right? I can't praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, but yet, none of you have been to heaven. You didn't make that trip, you haven't seen it, and yet you believe. Amen. Now, God is not pleased when you get there. Of course he's pleased in the sense that his child has returned to him and we're all, you know, together as a family. What an amazing time that's going to be. It's hard to even comprehend what it's going to be like. But the reality is, is he pleased with you then when you walk through the pearly gates or is he pleased with you now? He's pleased with you now because you believe in a Christ you haven't seen and a heaven that he's building that you've never witnessed and you believe in the word of God that speaks of God's character and nature and you believe that word. He is pleased with the faith itself. Now, if you walk in that level of faith, you're going to have manifestation. But if you train yourself to think that God is pleased with you because of the manifestation, you've missed the faith boat completely. Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God does not say the manifestation of your faith is what pleases him. Say it with me. It pleases me. Faith pleases him. Now you hang on to it, you'll see a manifestation. But don't make that mistake because it'll actually cripple your faith. And we've had people actually go bankrupt in their faith because they thought that's what it was all about. God has somehow pleased with them. And so they have all this manifestation. No. No. Uh, the greatest marker of your faith is when you believe and yet you haven't seen. Isn't that exactly what he told Thomas? Yes. Unless I see the nail prints, unless I see the scar, I will not believe. Will Jesus minister to you where you are? Yes, everybody else was believing. You and I haven't seen the scars. We haven't seen the body. We never saw him resurrected. We have not had that encounter, yet we what? Believe. We believe. And Jesus said, okay, go ahead and do what you want to do. And then he gave them this stinging encouragement and rebuke all rolled into one. Blessed are they that believe. And what? Now how many of you really believe you're going to see him one day? Yes you are. So then when you see him God will be pleased with you. He's pleased with you now because of the faith factor. You see how important this is to understand and how great the example is of somebody like Enoch. It's easy for us to quote those scriptures and then separate that scripture from the one that God actually bestowed that upon, that principle upon. 
in 1 John 3, verse 7 and 8. This is from the message. So, my dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right, who is right, just as we see it lived out in our righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. Everybody say, do justly. Say it again. Say, do justly. That means consistently do what is right. In the eyes of whom? In the eyes of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is what? What is right. That's the first attribute of somebody that actually walks with God. Now, a little bit more about Enoch. You want to read about him in Genesis chapter 5. You can, verse 21 through 24. But uh, he would walk with God, and then he was no more. And we can see that he was commended for his faith. So, the attributes that uh, mark a person that walks with God, obviously faith is going to be there. Faith will produce the manifestation, but it starts by actually just believing God. Come on, shout out, I believe God. He is for me and not against me. Second attribute is to love mercy. Not just loving that you get mercy. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? But conducting yourself as a person of mercy. In fact, I think the modern church needs to become experts in mercy. The most dangerous thing that can happen to a Christian is to be bestowed upon great mercy and yet show that, not show that mercy to other people. In fact, it's just a ticking time bomb. You know, I believe that we compromise our protection, we compromise our victory, we compromise our anointing. When you choose not to be merciful, when mercy has been bestowed upon you, you basically um, are, are operating without the shields that you could be operating with. To operate without mercy is to come out of the love walk. The Bible says that our faith works by love. And you say, have you seen this? Yeah, I see it. I see it all the time. I see in today's modern manifestation of the cancel culture. You make one mistake. I don't care if you're a college student, a high school student. I don't care if you're a broadcaster. I don't care if you're an athlete. I don't care if you're a scientist. I don't care if you're a spiritual leader. You make one mistake, and guess what? They'll cancel you. Now, that's one thing for the world to do. And the other day, this young lady, she's 15 years old. She made a three-second video where she used a, a racial slur. A boy held on to that so he could pull it out at an opportune time. And after she was accepted to UT, and after she was accepted onto the cheer squad, he pulls it out and makes it public. The school rescinded her acceptance letter and kicked her off the team. On that little three-second mistake when she was 15 years old. Now, we're not here to support what she did any more than we would support, you know, other types of, you know, insensitive comments and things that are definitely ugly and divisive and destructive. But do you think that somebody deserves their entire life to be wrecked over a three-second video from when they were 15 years old? That's what we're dealing with. But I am telling you, that same spirit has snuck into the church. I have seen people in the ditch so far, you have to dig down 50 feet just to get them up. Watch the Lord clean them up. Watch the Lord pour his oil on them and heal and sad. Watch people minister to them and come around and love on them and pour on them and help them in every way. And then I've seen somebody do something that offended them. And even though they have been showered with mercy, they had no mercy for somebody else that got under their skin. I can't even begin to tell you how much of a stench that is in the nostrils of God. But when you read Matthew 18 about the, you know, unjust, you know, servant who would not forgive the mega debt when he was, the little debt, when he had a mega debt, and you find out that the scripture indicates that all of his sin debt was restored to him because he would not forgive somebody else, that is a consequence that you and I can't pay. And it uses language like darkness and gnashing the teeth. It uses language that should tell you that you don't want to be caught being unmerciful to others. Mercy, judgment will be merciless to those who have what? Shown, not shown mercy. 
When you have not been merciful to others, boy, you're setting yourself up for a big-time failure. And it certainly isn't indicative of walking with God. Now, we can have people to make all kinds of excuses, you know, say all kinds of things they want to do. And they, What we do now is instead of just being honest about offense and hurt and, and unforgiveness and bitterness, we, we rephrase things. So I'm not offended, I'm just hurt. Let me help you out here. If you act on your hurt, you're offended. And we just crawl in this little sideways hole over here and act like everything is just fine. I'll tell you this story. It won't go any further than the internet anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, my sister and my brother and all, they ministered to a lot of people through the years that had been hurt. And this one particular individual was uh, in a bad place. I think uh, they'd walked through some difficulty with, uh, with husband's health and financial issues. And I mean, poured on the oil, poured on the wine. And because this individual in the church setting, they worked, they walked, operated in the motorcycle ministry and they were patch holder. But uh, they also were in the local church because they couldn't do what they wanted to do in terms of worship, instantly turned on the leadership of that church and then got on social media and talked about how they've asked for our patch back. Now, if you understand the outlaw world, that patch is an important thing, and it symbolizes covenant and brotherhood, and you only wear it if you're in right relationship with that organization. Okay, that's a, the 411, the short order on this. The bottom line is this. Uh, Christians who've never been in the outlaw biker, they wouldn't survive five minutes in that world because Christians don't understand what covenant is at all anymore. But at any rate... Uh, I just, I looked at that and I go, and so they posted on social media, so you get all these people feeling sorry for them and writing all kinds of things, and it's not even my situation. You see what I'm saying to you? But I'm thinking to myself, how could you possibly act that way after all the mercy you've been given? You see what happens when you slip out of mercy? You can't see, you can't discern, you can't deal with things correctly. What it should have been is, you know what? If the pastor doesn't want this done in worship, then we're not going to do it that way. Yes, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God, let's move on. But that's not the mentality in America right now. If I don't get what I want when I want it, I reserve the right to be offended. Watch this. All offense is, is the unintentional desire and decision not to walk in mercy. The gym offends me. I have a decision to make. I can immediately go to what's wrong with him, or I can look at myself in the mirror and say, what has been, what is wrong with you that you're receiving mercy for, and then respond to Jim with that mentality. That's what it means to what? Love mercy. Say it with me. I'm an expert by faith in mercy. I can't tell you something that will wreck your life faster. And oh, I wanted to respond. But then it dawned on me, I'll just make it worse on her. But I'm just letting you know that I see this across the body of Christ time and time again. I got friends in ministry that have literally gone to hell and back with people, and the first time somebody didn't like what they said or did, boom, they are gone. What is That's not hurt. That's not even offense. That is removing mercy from your life, and it's dangerous. Say, baby, I'm an expert. An expert in mercy. So one minute, one gentleman chimes in, and he says, well, you know, it's it's just a patch. It's not the anointing. My sister had a brilliant comeback for that. <laughs> Tell that to Joseph in the coat of many colors. It was just a coat. It's not just that. It represents a lot. And what the American Christian doesn't understand is when they get that way, that's where it all stops for them. It's over. There'll be no progress. There'll be no more anointing. There'll be no more victory. There'll be no success. Everything God intended for that person. Once you throw down the gauntlet of not being merciful, I don't care what you've been through. Once you throw down that gauntlet of not being merciful, you're done. Until you go back and deal with that thing. And I'll tell you, I've seen experts in people holding on to a mentality that's not merciful. Lord, help them. Susan, I could have you testify tonight. We've all been there. 
We have all done things like this. I'm just challenging you as you go into a new year. Listen, make up your mind. You're going to be an expert in mercy. Don't make a difference what they said, what they did, how they acted towards you. Don't try to justify it. Don't just say, well, I'm just hurt. I'm wounded. I'm this. No. You give the mercy to other people you have been given. If brother or sister, you didn't need any mercy, then fine. Don't give any out. But if you think sometime in your future you're going to need some mercy, you better be pouring it out everywhere you are. Amen. I, uh, you know, recently we've been praying for an individual that's been sick and there's a passing of, in that family and I didn't even realize it, but, you know, one of the extended family members wrote a little blog, wrote a little article about this person, how great they were. And what, what stunned her and what stunned me was that the individual had to slam their natural father and their spiritual father who's also dead to make a point of how wonderful this individual is. Can I tell you something? You don't have to slam somebody else to brag on somebody else. And it so grieves me that I would like to lose my mercy over it. No, I'm just kidding you. Um, see, that's the danger here. You get upset about somebody not showing mercy, you got to be careful yourself. You still have to show that person what? Mercy. See, I don't have to reduce this other person to lift up the other person. I can just talk about what a blessing this person is. But what is that? I wish I could sit down, you know, with a, with a thousand ministers just like me and just explain this point. What is that that causes us to want to reduce people in the eyes of others? It's a fundamental lack of mercy in our lives. We have forgotten how much we have been forgiven. He who what? Loves much. What? Why does he love much? When you are forgiven much, what do you want to do? Well, you're the woman at the feet of Jesus who can't stop crying, can't stop anointing his feet, can't stop praising him, can't stop loving him. This is a great indicator. Yes, doing consistently, continually the right thing, do justly, is critical. But this scripture just doesn't say you love getting mercy. It means you what? You love to show it. You love to give it. Amen. Say, well, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a tall order. Yeah, without the Holy Ghost it is. But how do you know the moment you want to be unmerciful, God can come alongside you and say, hey, has the Holy Ghost ever told you just to shut up? Amen. And how many went ahead and said it anyway? Just a couple of you. <laughs> but at least he was there to tell you, wasn't he? Say, well, you show mercy. Show mercy. Say it again, show mercy. show mercy. People around you are going to blow it. Family members are going to do stupid things. Teenagers are going to do stupid things. I like to have about five minutes with the Board of Regents and the University of Tennessee to explain this to them. Because if you don't get a handle on this, now we reserve the right to go back into your life. If one three-second clip for a 15-year-old can ruin her life, then we have the right to go back to every regent's life and sift until we find something that you did wrong. Or, exactly, or we can all go to a higher level of forgiving people, learning from our mistakes, and walk in in mercy. This is a big problem, not just in the world, it's a big problem in the house of God. I pray that they reverse their decision. You think she's learned her lesson? I would say so. But come on now, raise your hand. In today's culture, how many of you would be disqualified in today's culture if they found out what you did, what you said? Yes. That's why, see, people won't do this. They won't go back in their lives that are adjudicating people's lives without mercy. They won't do that. Right? But if they did... What would they find? Now watch this. We don't do that. I'm not going back in the, the regent's lives, the president's life to find out. I probably wouldn't have to go very far to find something that would be disqualifying in every one of their lives. And you and I could do the same thing about you know, our own situation. But here's the deal. That's not my job. But I can tell you somebody who does go back. 
These people who are doing this are going to hit a wall like you have not seen, in or out of the church. Judgment will be merciless to those who refuse to show mercy. And when we think about, you know, the, the loving mercy, the, the principle, you know, I can't help but think about the whole time he's preaching, Noah, you know, what he must have been subjected to. What a humble man that was. Amen. What a merciful person that must have been. That's the way you want to be. No matter what's coming at you, stay merciful. Turn to somebody and tell them people are going to do stupid things. Your job is to model mercy. Say, I'm an expert in mercy. Say, I can't afford someone digging through my trash. Huh? Well, Brett Kavanaugh used to get drunk on beer and he was in college. Well, what did you just do? But what were you involved in? Is that not ridiculous? The fair thing would be to open up every one of those senators' lives. That would be fun. Talk about, you know, made for TV. Be the highest rated soap opera on TV then. It's so easy to point that finger and forget that you yourself have been on the receiving end of great <coughs> mercy. I would say that you and I have probably been involved in something, said things, you know, 100,000 times, you know, that we deserve to be canceled over. But thank God God didn't do it. Amen. He doesn't cancel, he restores. So you want to pray for Christmas week? Pray for that young lady. That somebody will have some backbone. Let me put it this way. Somebody on that board will act like a Christian. Yeah. Say, this is ridiculous. You know, as long as I'm projecting and judging you, I don't have to look at my past. I don't have to look at what should have canceled me. Listen, to love mercy is a tall order, but that's what it means to walk with God. And did God model that himself? Yeah, he sure did. Say it with me. I do right. And love mercy. And number three, what? I walk humbly. Now, this is important that you have a Bible definition of humility and not a world's definition of humility. Uh, humility is not putting yourself down. Often people will say things like humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Scripture says in Romans 12, 3, we're not to have, you know, a view of, of ourselves, you know, beyond what it should be, but you should not have a view of yourself below what Scripture says about you as well. You're walking with God. So write this down. It simply means that you line up with God's Word in every area of your life. To come outside of the Word is pride. It's not just feeling good about a job well done or receiving a bit of praise. No, that is the lowest level in revelation of this thing. To really walk in humility is to line up with God's word. And the area that you refuse to line up with God's word is actually pride. That could be some sin area or it could be some you know, challenge in your character. It could be some standing order. You know, we often will talk about giving to the Lord, for example. And someone says, well, I don't want to be a tithe. You know, I just don't think it takes all that, blah, 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 blah. And we'll get into all that stuff in future weeks because it's part of your supernatural increase. And it's a responsibility of spiritual leadership to teach you these things. But the reality is this. You know, if, if God says that I should be doing this and I won't line up with it, that's nothing less than pride. Humility is to submit to the word in every area. Someone can talk about all the excuses why they don't do it, but they are putting themselves in judgment over the word of God. They would never say, I'm going to be like God and I'm going to ascend to his throne like the devil did. But we do this all the time. Listen, if you don't submit to the word, you just raise yourself above his throne. You just put yourself above it. You did the same thing that Lucifer did and was cast out for. So real humility is not beating yourself up and I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, everybody hates me and it's important that to do because I deserve it. No, that's not humility. Humility is coming under the word of God. And when that happens, you won't have a false humility about you. But in general, you won't be thinking greater than yourself than you ought and you won't be thinking lower than yourself 
and, and lower than the, the scripture says that you are. You can be, and you can have what the Bible says you can have and be. Say it with me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not a prideful thing to say. That's a scriptural thing to say. Now watch this. So the person that goes around saying, well, I'm just a black-hearted sinner, I'm a weak worm of the dust. Humble or prideful? Sounds what? Sounds humble. But because it's violating what the word says about that person, it's actually what? It's actually prideful. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, I just believe that a man ought to make his own way, and if you know he can't make the money, can't take it, he, he shouldn't be asking to believe in God for it. That's that's not biblical to ask God to increase you at all. That's not biblical for you to expect and believe God to do that. Sounds real humble, but in reality, it's what? It's pride because it elevates yourself above what the Word of God actually says. Say it with me. Walk humbly. It means to submit or line up to the Word of God in every single area of your life. It means promoting God and not yourself. If you'll lift up God, He'll take care of you. If you'll promote Him and exalt Him, make Him large, magnify Him, He gets bigger in the situation, listen, He'll pull you up with Him. Or you can magnify yourself and praise yourself and try to position yourself. And this is when people get into situations where they're trying to manipulate others to get in certain places, and all it does is cause a mess. There's nothing uglier than watching a Christian operating in witchcraft. But promotion comes to those, amen, that trust God for it. It doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west, but it comes from whom? It comes from the Lord, and you don't have to make anything happen. Aren't you glad for that? Everybody just take a deep breath. Mm, the Lord will make it happen. Glory to God. Glory to God. It also means giving God the glory and not yourself. It's okay for someone to compliment you, but if God wasn't in the middle of your life, would you be that effective? No. God hadn't given you your brain, would you be able to be cognizant of anything? Could you function? No, everything goes back to his, his goodness. Therefore, the source of the goodness should also be what? The one recipient of the glory, the praise, and the honor. Turn to somebody and say, give him the glory. Come on, say it again, give him the glory. You're never going to go wrong doing that. Now, don't be real silly about it when somebody compliments you and, you know, get all sheepish about it. You need to be able to receive a compliment as well. And you can say, thank you for those kind words. I give God the praise and the glory for it. Does that make sense? Anything else comes off as being what? Along the same line, you need to learn how to be a reaper as well as a sower. Someone tries to do something nice for you, an act of service, a kindness, or a financial blessing, Make sure you have an understanding of what it means to be a receiver as well. Well, I couldn't receive that. You know, I make my own way. I, we don't take charity, blah, blah, blah. Listen, it's something for God to get a hold of a Christian's heart to try to sow a seed into your life in the first place. That was a major barrier for a lot of people. Now God's got that person's attention. Don't shoot it down because you can't receive. You receive it in Jesus' name. Say it with me, I receive in Jesus' name. You receive with humility like you give in humility, lining up with the Word of God. Speaking of Noah, this is the history of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless man living on earth at the time. He consistently followed God's will and enjoyed a close relationship with Him. Those things are connected. Say it with me. He consistently did God's will. And he enjoyed a close relationship with him. Those that consistently don't do God's will find themselves separated from God. He did this consistently. Here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of every person. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. How many glad for grace and mercy in your life? Glory to God. Listen to this from Isaiah 66 too. And you, you want to mark this scripture as well. This is the one I esteem. 
This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know what's wrong with this culture today? There's no more trembling in God's word. It's just, eh, that's just God. Ah, that's just a sermon. Ah, it's just a Bible study. It doesn't apply to me, no big deal. And we separate and treat it as it's nothing. In reality, the counsel of God, the word of God is everything. It should be honored more than anything. So when we talk about walking in humility, we're talking about continuous, constant, predictable behavior. Say that with me, predictable. You're going to be consistent in walking in humility, just as you're going to be consistent in doing justly and loving and extending mercy. But I want to talk about this individual, Levi, for just a moment. Go with me over to Malachi. I say Malachi. Malachi. I learned that from Van Crouch. Tucked into the admonition for the priests in Malachi. Look at uh, verse 3. Because of you all rebuke your descendants, I'll spread on your faces and offal from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it and you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant believe I might uh, continue says the Lord Almighty and listen to this my covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace does that sound pretty good to you life and peace and I gave them to him how many of you like to have life and peace given to you now watch this he's an example here for us I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing that was found on his lips, uh, anything false was found on his lips. Look at the high order here. He walked with me in peace and what? Uprightness and turned many from sin. Three people in the Bible says explicitly walk with God, and one of them is Levi. And notice this. Scripture says that he operated in his covenant of life and peace. He had reverence, all for God's name. Reverence for God, all for his name. True instruction was in his mouth, nothing false on his lips. He walked with God in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from sin. You know, in this culture written right now, we have more preachers that are facilitating error than preaching against error. Making people feel these things are perfectly acceptable, and that's not what somebody that walks with God does. Let me give you an example. Uh, we still believe that uh, sexual relationship is reserved for marriage. We have a long biblical truth to, to fall on, but also the heritage of the church and also of the people of God, the Jewish people. There's a, there's a very prescribed way to live. Now watch this. If, if you personally yield to that cultural, what has become norm, what you're saying is that doesn't apply to you. And instead of turning people from their sin, you're helping to facilitate people in sin. I've had people come up to me and say, uh, well, we, we can't get married because we'll lose those Social Security benefits. You mean to tell me that you're going to go to hell over a Social Security check? Thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation. Because what we're saying now is that doesn't matter to God. What matters is that we're happy. So you can not only do this yourselves, but model it. There used to be a time when a mom and dad would say, you know what, you're not fornicating in my house. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Let me try it one more time. You're not fornicating in my house. But now the new culture is, well, I just use protection. Everything is just fine. Even Christians following along this line. We are not to be facilitating sin. We're supposed to be holding to righteousness. What is true, not popular, not that gets you praise, not even that necessarily gets a bunch of amens, but what is true that's the way Levi was. 
not afraid to challenge, not afraid to deal with stuff. And if we as Christians don't challenge ourselves and don't challenge our families, don't challenge those that we're around, who's going to do it? If the church is now silent on sin, we have strayed severely from Levi's example, and we certainly aren't walking with God. Yeah, but it'll cause strife. Yeah, but there'll be an argument. Yeah, that person might hate my guts. They might hate you for a while till they grow up. And then their life will, will be one where they remember the one person who told them the truth when everyone else said it was just perfectly fine to live that way. Amen? Glory to God. No, we're not talking about just joining church. We're talking about walking with God. We shouldn't be, you know, compromising ourselves, and we shouldn't be, you know, helping others to do the same. Now, when they do step into sin and everything falls apart, uh, we're supposed to be those that love mercy. So they're, they're not mutually exclusive at the same time. To be like Levi who walked with God, we've got to have a conscience about ourselves. And we have to be that voice in a culture that's very, very dark. In a lot of ways, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world these days. Amen. And if you read carefully, God is holding the spiritual leadership responsible for that thing. This is why it's happening. Amen. So you should never, you know, get put out if you're challenged in a sermon. You should thank God, first of all, you're still challengeable. And you should also thank God that somebody has the guts to challenge you. That's really what it means to have tickling ears. Just affirm me in my error, affirm me in what I am doing. That's not what we're called to do. And that's not love. Write this in big, bold letters. Tolerance is not love. Not even in the same universe. Hallelujah. Well, let's, let's combine these three gentlemen and what they teach us about Walking with God. Say it with me. Do right. right. Love mercy. mercy. Walk humbly. Say it one more time. Do right. right. Love mercy. mercy. Walk humbly. Glory to God. That's why this is the Overcomers Club. Amen. Amen. This is not I just walked into church one night, you know, not, not knowing what to expect. Hallelujah. Watch this. You combine all three of these gentlemen and their examples, and again, there are other people that walk with God, we know that, but these three people, the Bible says, explicitly walked with God. Number one, write this down, they pleased God. They pleased God, which tells us they were people of faith, they were people that honored what God had said, and they believed on him. Say it over, they pleased God. I mean, we want to please God. What a wonderful goal that would be for 2021. My goal is to have 15 different colors of masks. That's my goal. No. Get your masks, but please God. Amen? Say it with me. Please God. Number two, they were righteous. That means they were right standing with God. We're right in parentheses. It means that they were committed to doing right. Righteousness gives us the power to do what is right. Any Christian that's born again says, I just can't do that. You know, it's just too hard to live that way. That's not being honest. If you are righteous, then you have the power to do right. And he gave you his righteousness. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. Now you have the power to do right. Let me say it again. Levi, Enoch, and Noah, none of them were born again. You understand? By what we understand the new birth is by the Spirit of God based on the teachings of what Jesus said and an outline and fleshed out by the Pauline theology on salvation. We know they were made right by faith, made righteous by faith, but they didn't have what we have right now. 
Glory to God. Number three, they were blameless. Do not write perfect in your notes because that's not what that word means. When the Bible calls Job blameless, it does not mean Job was perfect. We know he wasn't perfect. We know he was filled with fear. You know, when you're sacrificing every day because of the sense of your family, you're not operating in faith. You're expecting your family to do what? So you have to ask your question is, how come there's a disconnect between Job's faith and his family's faith? Do you see this? A lot of things are subtle in Scripture, and some of them just smack us in the head, you know, because they're just that plain and that clear. But blameless doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means that their repentance is up to date. Their relationship is current and fresh. They don't believe the modern theology in this world that says Christians don't need to repent. The Christians I know need to repent. This Christian needs to repent. Look at somebody and tell them, you need to repent. I know you. You need to repent. You have not arrived. <laughs> so if their repentance and confession, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, if their confession, if their repentance is up to date, then guess what? They're blameless. There is no fault there. Write this word down, expunged. That's what happens to your record. Unless you refuse to be merciful. God is a marvelous, marvelous being. He can expunge your record, and he can de-expunge your record. So, someone who's blameless is not unmerciful, obviously. You know, the more we're forgiven, the more forgiving we should be. But somehow that spiritual elevator doesn't go all the way to the top with some people. Blessed are what? The merciful. Empowered to prosper are what? We're talking about supernatural increase. Empowered to increase are what? The merciful. So how can we be blameless day to day? Our repentance is up to date. It doesn't mean you go around with no consciousness of salvation or confidence in God. It just means when, when you blow it, and you probably blew it, some of y'all probably got mad over the holidays. Not over here, that section over there, I think. Those guys. <laughs> Said something wrong, did something wrong, handled something incorrectly. Um, perfect does not mean that you never did any of those things. It means that you are up to date and current on your repentance and your confession. You know, when you think about it that way, we are wonderfully blessed, aren't we, to be Christians? That we even have the right to do that. And that's what Scripture says. If we confess our sins, He is, 1 John 1, 9, what? Faithful and what? Just. See, it is just for God to forgive you when you confess. Do you see this? What does that mean? It means you're blameless. Watch the Scripture. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness restoring you to a blameless state. I wonder what's the longest you've been blameless? Five minutes. <laughs> Ten minutes. Twenty minutes. One week. <laughs> uh, you know, one day you'll be like he is. It'll be a permanent fix at that point in time. Amen? Glory to God. So, you know, making a, a mistake, you know, falling down, Scripture says that there's great, you know, uh, you'll praise for that one that'll get back up again. A righteous man falls what? And then was what? And Scripture says, when I fall, I shall. I shall arise. That's the idea. Say it with me. They please God. They're righteous. They're blameless. Number four, they're obedient which means there's a standing command over their life and they're keeping it. The revelation they know, they're yielding to it. There's a consistency there in obedience. That's what all three of these gentlemen teach us. To walk with God is to do what God tells you to do. The moment you stop doing what God tells you to do, the fellowship is broken and you, God's looking for you, but you're not there. You're going to walk about somewhere in Australia. Uh, and that's not what God wants. Say it with me, obedience. obedience. 
Micah says, you know, God, what do you want? He says, well, here it is. Here's the, here's the duty of man, all right? The duty of man is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's, that's what he's saying that you're supposed to do. Well, there's another scripture that tells us that to obey is better than what? Sacrifice. Which means in Micah, where he talks about God, do you want these sacrifices? No, that's not what he wants. What does he want? Ultimately, he wants obedience. He wants compliance. He wants us to yield to him. Obedience. Hallelujah. Here's a big one. Number five, reverence. I tell you, when you really reverence the Lord, that uh, you're in awe of him, it produces something powerful in your life. Um, can you be charismatic, Pentecostal, and still be reverent? I grew up in a church, a Lutheran church, and we kind of used that as a spiritual talking point. It was kind of like, yeah, but we're reverent. Well, sometimes we weren't reverent. Sometimes we were just dead. There's a difference. That silence in church wasn't necessarily reverence. <laughs> and the same thing in, in a full gospel church. You, you can be clapping your hands and still be reverent. What does this mean? Trace it out. Reverence all respect, love. It means you reverence him enough to do what he says. There's not enough reverence. In other words, the fear of the Lord is really what this is referring to. Uh, there needs to be a restoration of the fear of the Lord in the average Christian's life. Uh, the world's not going to fear him. So the scriptures pertaining to the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God pertain to people of, of faith. Again, these three walk with God. This is what they teach us. Collectively, you know, Noah and Enoch and Levi tell us that we need to be people of reverence. We respect his presence. Um, you know, in, in a church service itself, is it possible to be irreverent? Is it? Sure it is. Um, and it's all about, uh, you know, the heart. Um, you know, someone has a health condition, they have to get up. That's perfectly understandable. Um, somebody has a child that's upset and they're trying to calm that child, but somebody's just meandering around the building for no apparent reason is not a person operating in reverence for the things of God. Well, reverent churches where people showed up, they don't talk back to the pastor. That'd be boring for me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what would Wednesday night be without Pam? I mean, come on now, really? I mean, that's, that has nothing to do with it. There are a lot of silent people who have no reverence at all for God or the things of God. So it really isn't a matter of the heart, but it really means fear of the Lord that produces reverence, of course, respect, all. And in the end, it leads you back to the obedience issue. That's number five. Number six, they speak the truth. They speak the truth, whether it's popular or not. To walk with God is to speak the truth. Now, Paul tells us we speak the truth in what? In love. What does the modern church say? The modern church says, forget about speaking the truth, just stick to the love part. But that's not what Paul said. He said, speak the truth in love, not speak the truth or love. And the most loving thing you can do is tell somebody what's true. And in the end, it's going to prove to be true, isn't it? And who are you going to respect more in the end? Somebody who lied to you or told you the truth? This is the way, walk ye in it. Say it with me, please God. Righteous, blameless, obedient, reverence, speak the truth. And last, they turn others to God. Hallelujah. You know, Noah can certainly be credited with trying to reach others, didn't he? But in the end, who did he save? His own family. How about Enoch's influence? Do you believe it, it pierced the hearts of people? I do believe that. Those that knew him and all of a sudden he's gone, they must have been thinking to themselves, even today it's hard for us to grasp this. And we'll all understand it if we're on the earth when the rapture takes place. But this individual just disappeared. And the people left behind going, you know, what must it be like to walk with God that close that you just step on over into that other realm? What a witness he was. He walked with God. 
But also Levi, explicitly the Bible says, turn people from sin. That's still our mandate as the people of God. We buy into a new theology in the modern church that says, not just love people, don't ever dress or anything. Just, just get them into church and don't ever say anything that will offend them. Don't make them sign anything. Don't make them say anything. Don't make them give anything. Don't make them serve. Just let them sit there, and then supernaturally something will happen in their lives. Well, they tried that. Now churches that were mega churches like Chicago, for example, they did over a period of 20, 30 years. You know what they found out? They had a room filled of people who did not have any formation in Christ. And the things they walked in doing, guess what, 20 years later? Still doing. We have to be told right from wrong, up from down, truth from error. And we have to be willing to be abrasive if necessary to tell people and point something out. This is not correct. And it's not about you're going to hell because you're doing that. that. This is what the Word says, and God will transform your life if you'll just yield to Him on this. And whatever damage you have done, He is merciful to get you out of the distress that you caused. But guess what? You've got to leave that pit. Amen. If the church stops talking about sin and the dangers of it, then who's going to? See, our biggest problem is not that we're silent about politics. Our biggest problem right now is that we're silent about sin, which is our primary charge of the church, is to preach the truth in love. What's the first message that Jesus preached, church? He just preached love. I've seen a string of well-known preachers go on Larry King when he was still in the air, and he would do this on purpose because he was trying to paint him into a corner. What was the primary message? Of, what was the message of Jesus Christ? And they would all say the same thing, love and tolerance, blah, blah, blah. And finally, I think it was Rick Warren got on there and said, his message was repent. <laughs> repent was his first message, and it's still his message. And when we take advantage of that, of course, it brings righteousness and, and blamelessness and it intersects and it gives us a place where we are current in our confession and our repentance and there's a freshness about our relationship. But no one's going to repent unless they know they're, supposed, they're doing something they need to repent of. Amen. <laughs> Whose responsibility is that? Why, that's yours, Pastor Art. That's your responsibility. No. Levi was a servant, but he wasn't what? He wasn't a pastor. Watch this. We're all part of the priesthood of believers. And we don't have to throw people under the bus to point out that something is wrong. Amen. I'll tell you this story. An individual that came to me for years for counsel, and I mean on, on a wide variety of things, from marriage to, you know, issues in employment and Kids, I mean, had a terrible time with, with, you know, one of them in particular. And they were going through a transition period. And the um, Lord said that uh, the, the direction they're headed is not the direction I want them to go. And he didn't give me all the revelation why. And so when I was approached about this, I just sat there and I just meted out this pastoral counsel that... You know, this is, this is why I believe that this direction can be harmful for you and devastating for you. And I, I said, I don't know exactly why. Now, later on, it all manifested. This particular decision, uh, this particular location, it just, I mean, it just went absolutely haywire. But I didn't know any of that was coming. All I knew was I was, had a responsibility to speak the truth in love. And I'm telling you, this is exactly as it happened. I sat there on the computer getting ready to send that email. When I hit that return, you know, that send button, I heard the Holy Ghost say, you just severed your relationship with that person. And from that day to this day, the person still wants nothing to do with me. But everything I said in that email was prophetic and came to pass in that situation. Now, that's the danger of speaking the truth in love. But you know what? We ought to obey God rather than men. And sometimes we have to say the hard things. And is it, is, it, is it easy to invest years in somebody's life and then hear the Holy Ghost affirm to you what you think that person's going to do with that email or that correspondence? Listen, the Holy Ghost wasn't saying, yay, that's right, that's the way it should be. He was just saying, this is the way it is.
but it needed to be done. Why? Because if we're people's lives like that and we don't speak the truth, who's going to? In this, in this situation particularly, who else was going to, with all the knowledge in the background and the shared experiences, who's going to say something? Nobody. So a lot of us, you know, in our silence, we're thinking that we're loving, and we're not really loving. It's not loving if that bridge were out to watch, you know, three or 400 cars head towards that bridge and not say something. That is not love. The world would say tolerance, tolerance, as people plunge to their death. But that's not love. It's irresponsible, amen, especially for people of faith. So say it, I'm going to walk with God. Say it with me, in 2021, I'm going to walk with God. I am going to do what's right. I'm going to love mercy, and I'm going to walk humbly under his word in every area of life. Isn't that exciting? To the one that walks with God are measurable promises from God. Amen. Did not Enoch experience something no one else did? Did not Noah experience something no one else outside of his family experienced? Amen. That's right. That kind of walk and spiritual walk with God is reserved for people that actually are diligent about their walk with him. Say with me, I'm walking with God. I'm becoming an expert in mercy. You know the problem with that confession you just made? Is you'll be tested on it. You will never, ever go wrong to choose mercy. I learned this directly, firsthand from Brother Puckett, sitting five feet across his desk in Mayfield, but he was still on this earth. And he said these words, if you're going to make an error, err on the side of mercy. You will not go wrong with that. Say, what if I make a mistake? God will work all that out. But you will never go wrong with what? Mercy. In other words, it would be better for you to err on that side than on the judgment side. Does that make sense? That's how difficult, uh, you know, the, the walk of faith actually is. It's easy believism that doesn't exist. To speak the truth in love and yet be merciful when people don't. Hmm? Amen. It's not for the faint of heart. It's for the serious Christian. Years ago, we had a businessman in our church, and he came to me. He said, Pastor, I was talking to somebody in town. They said, where do you go to church at? And he said, Hope Harbor. And, and that guy goes, ooh, that's for serious Christians. I'm thinking to myself, what? Shouldn't everybody be serious <laughs> about their walk with God? You know, what was he saying? He was saying there's some standards there. And that's okay. Amen? There should be what? Standards, not religion, but standards of the Word of God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today and thank Him for it. <clears throat>